Amen. We'll be reading from Psalm 107, verses 1 through 16. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Lord, there's nothing like your love. There's no love that we've ever seen or even could, could conceive of that could match your great love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were rebels, while we were your enemies, Lord, you sent your son Jesus to come and rescue us. And so this morning, we, we just want to rest in your love. Lord, Lord, we want to learn what it means to make our home in your love, to be fortified by it, to be romanced by you, to have our hearts ravished by the wonder of a God who would love us so much that he would give his only son for us. God, this morning we pray that you would strengthen us in the inner man, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, that together with all the saints we might come to know the love that passes knowledge, Lord, that passes understanding, Lord, that that love that we can't even quite comprehend with our mind, Lord, that deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, that you would make us to know experientially the wonder of your love. Lord, that as we hear from you this morning, as we hear from your word, and as you open up your heart to us and show us exactly how it is, that you have poured out your love, that we truly would come to know the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the endless love of Christ for sinners. God, wash over us this morning with your goodness, with your mercy, with your love. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen. Hey, as you're taking your seat, I want to invite you to just go ahead and open your Bible to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 will be in verses 1 through 16 today. 
Uh, really exciting announcement uh, to, to share with you today. Uh, starting in our kids' ministry, uh, our kids' director, Jenna North, is launching what we are calling a full family ministry plan. And uh, one of the interesting, exciting components about that is that right now, over in, in the kids' area where our kids' ministry is taking place, our kids are actually learning the same exact truths that we are going to be learning here and with, through our sermons on Sunday mornings. It's something we're really excited about. Uh, one of the things that we want to do to, to kind of create this full family ministry plan is that every week from going forward on the bottom of the bulletin, I don't know if you grab one on your way in. If not, you can, you can see it on your way out. But at the bottom of the bulletin every week, we're going to have what's called a question for the kids. Uh, and this will be just an opportunity to try to connect what our kids are learning with what we're, with what, what we're learning. So if you're a parent or a grandparent or a guardian, you bring a, a child here, maybe in the car ride on the way home, maybe uh, over lunch, maybe over dinner tonight, you might discuss this question uh, together as a family. Uh, the other exciting thing, or one of the other exciting things that, that goes along with this is our kids are actually going to also be memorizing a verse that comes from whatever sermon series we're in. Uh, so this morning we're starting a new sermon series that, that goes from Psalm 107 through Psalm 118. And so our kids are going to learn a verse that, that comes from, from this sermon series. Uh, I want to kind of show you something kind of cool. As we started to look for a Bible verse that would be, that would be great for our kids to memorize, we saw something really awesome just sort of pop out uh, in our series. So if you've got your Bible, uh, hold your finger right there on Psalm 107. But I want you to flip to Psalm 118, to the, to the last psalm that's going to be in our series. So you've got your finger there on Psalm 107. And uh, you scroll over to Psalm 118. Here's something really cool. The very first verse of Psalm 107, Psalm 107.1, and the very last verse of Psalm 118, Psalm 118.29, are the exact same verse. And additionally, if you, if you kind of look over, the, the first verse of Psalm 118 is also the same exact verse. So our kids are going to be memorizing this verse, and when they memorize this one verse, they are going to be memorizing three verses. How exciting is that? So as our kids memorize this verse, I think we ought to join them. Uh, and so this morning, to kick that off, uh, if we could get Psalm 107.1 up there, uh, let's say this out loud together, and, and over the next few weeks, let's just plan on memorizing uh, this together. So out loud, I'm going to count to three, and then we'll, uh, we'll say this verse together. All right, one, two, three, here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. All right, first service did better than you guys, so we need to do this again. Here we go, here we go. Let's try this one more time on the count of three. One, two, three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. All right, that's going to be an exciting journey. Uh, this morning, before we uh, really walk through the text, I just want to hang on this first verse for a moment. I just want to hang on this first verse and, and simply ask this question. Why do we need this deep dive into the love of God? Why do we need to take this 12, 13 weeks and just soak ourselves in the love of God? Uh, well, the love of God is like one of those few resources that we have in the world that is so versatile and so necessary for life that we call it an essential resource, right? Uh, lo the love of God is like an essential resource. Take, for example, water. Um, entire civilizations have been built around water. Well, why is that? Because water is one of those resources that, that accomplishes so many things, and water is one of those things that, as a human being, we literally cannot live without it. We drink water. We cook with water. We grow our crops with water. Here in Myrtle Beach, we've made a whole industry out of swimming in, looking at, and listening to water. Uh, we understand that our plumbing 
uh, uh, de- depends on water. There's so many different facets of our life that require water. It is a required, essential resource. And what we're going to see over the next 12 to 13 weeks is that the love of God is exactly the same way. That the love of God is this essential resource that meets so many different needs that you and I have in our life. It is something that we literally cannot live without. Just like if we try to live without water, eventually our bodies will fall into dysfunction. If we try to live without the love of God, our lives will fall into utter dysfunction. And so why in this particular moment, why right now for Palmetto Shores Church in 2023, why do we need to take a deep dive into the love of God? Uh, Well, let me try to share a few examples of why we especially, I think, need this in our lives today. Uh, One example is this. We live in an age of triviality. You and I are obsessed with things that don't matter. And into our age of triviality, the love of God meets us with an ocean of infinite depth. There is nothing that is more profound in all the universe than the love of God. And we also live, I think you would agree, we live in an age of grumbling and complaining. We live in an age where we have mastered the art of not being happy enough with everything we see around us. And into this age of grumbling and complaining, the love of God meets us with endless reasons for gratitude. The love of God turns our grumpiness into thankfulness. And we live in an age of fear. Anxiety levels at an all-time high. So many different things to be afraid of. But in our age of fear, the love of God meets us with safety. See, God puts all of his other attributes behind his love, his goodness, his mercy, his kindness, his faithfulness. And wherever he pours out his love, he pours out all of himself. And he secures us and he holds us safe within his love. And uh, we also live in an age of numbness. Uh, We have invented countless ways to simply deaden our souls, to deaden our hearts. But into this age of numbness, the love of God meets us with joy. The love of God delights the heart. And we live in an age of brokenness. Wounds from relationships, wounds from challenging experiences, dysfunctional habits, routines, life systems, that have wreaked havoc on us. And into this age of brokenness, the love of God meets us with healing. God's love washes our wounds. God's love reaches down into the darkest and deepest and dirtiest crevices of our soul, and He cleanses us from the inside out. So into our age that is starving for the love of God, we read Psalm 107.1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. So our plan over the next 12, 13 weeks is to just soak ourselves in His love, to plunge ourselves 
down into his love. Our prayer, our hope over the next 12 to 13 weeks is that we would come to know the love that the Bible says surpasses knowledge. That we would come to understand the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the great love with which God has loved us. And that's what brings us more directly to the rest of Psalm 107. What is Psalm 107? Well, here's the thing that happens for almost all of us. All of us are tempted to think at times in our life, God loves me, so what? What does it matter that some big being who I can't even see, and who I can't even touch, has good feelings towards me? What difference does that make in my life? You say God's, God loves me, big deal. But then we read a psalm like Psalm 107, and here's what we see. Scene after scene after scene after scene of God demonstrating that his love for us is not just good feelings. His love for us is not just good vibes headed our way. No, God in his love actually reaches down into our lives and accomplishes things. He changes things. He resets the trajectory of our destiny. God's love transforms us. And picture after picture after picture in Psalm 107 is an exhibition that God's love is not just this fuzzy feeling that he has towards us. No, God's love is something that is at work in our lives. And so here's the question I hope that we would all be able to answer as we walk out of here. here here's actually the question for the kids for the day. Uh, here's the question that I hope after us spending the first half of Psalm 107 together, what, we, what we'd be able to answer. If today on, on the street somebody stopped you and they said, so you say that God loves you. How has God loved you? So you say God loves you, but show me how. My prayer is that today we'll be able to leave here with some profound answers to that question. So three things today. First, how, how, how has God loved us? How has God loved us? First, in love, our God redeems us. In love, our God redeems us. Verses 2 and 3 say, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. See, God had established a particular place where his people Israel were supposed to live, and they were supposed to experience fellowship with him. But sadly, Israel was exiled away from that place. And when they were exiled away from that place, it actually symbolized something much more tragic and much more important. The exile out of the land symbolized that sin separates us from God. That when Israel had, was exiled and sent out of the land, it symbolized that human beings, and in their sin, the consequence for their sin... They are cut off from God. A wall comes up between God and man. Um, this idea of being cut off is alive and well in our uh, lives today. You know, we've all had relationships where we were close to somebody, we felt like we had a friendship with somebody, but then for what, whatever reason, a wall comes up in between that relationship. We are cut off from that person. And sometimes it's not even for bad reasons, right? Uh, maybe sometimes it's just you moved away or they moved away and, and that person that you were so close to, that person that you had that tight relationship with now, you feel cut off from them. You feel like there is a wall in the relationship. You are no longer close. You no longer have 
the relationship that you had before. And so when Israel is exiled out of the land, it is actually saying a deeper message. It is saying that people in their sin are cut off from God. When we rebel against God, there is a separation between us and Him. Uh, and I think everybody in the world, we all know that there, there's, something's not right. right. We all know that, there, that something in this world is broken. We all know that, that things don't add up. But some, some people want to point to education and they want to say that's the problem. Or some people want to point to politics and they want to say that's the problem. Some people want to point to economics and they want to say that's the problem. Some people want to point to our lifestyle or our diet and say that's the problem. We, we could come up with endless answers that people give for the problem that we all see around us. Something's not right. And when Christianity answers the question of what's wrong with the world, it doesn't completely set those things aside. It simply puts those things in their place. When Christianity answers the question, what is wrong with the world, it goes deeper. It goes down to the source. When Christianity answers the question, what is wrong with the world, it is that there has been a broken relationship with God. All of these other problems, they matter. They're important, but they're secondary. All these other problems are caused because at a deeper level, we are cut off from the God who made us. So when this psalm says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, it is really saying that when God redeems a person, what he's doing is he is reaching out into exile and bringing them back into fellowship with himself. That when God redeems a person, he is rescuing us from being cut off from him and he is bringing us back into his presence. And there's really two things involved with redemption. There's two aspects, two components of redemption. We might say that redemption is rescue through ransom. That, that when someone is saved, they are saved, but it comes at a cost. They are, they are delivered, but they are delivered at a price. Redemption is to be rescued through ransom. And all throughout the Bible, whenever the Bible describes redemption, it always describes redemption as an act of God's love. As an act of God's love. Why is that? Because when God redeems us, when we are rescued through ransom, God is doing something in our lives that we do not deserve. When God's redeeming love reaches into our life and saves us, He's doing something for us that we don't deserve. Uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan is one of my become one of my favorite movies. It's this grip, gripping film about the World War II uh, time period. Uh, the basic simple gist of this movie is that uh, there's this there's this one guy. His name's James Ryan. And three of his brothers have died in the war. And so somebody high up finds out that this guy, this guy, uh, James Ryan, has had these three brothers killed in the war. And, and this guy says, hey, we've got to go get this guy. We need to save him. And so they send out this whole team on a mission to go behind enemy lines to rescue him. And as you're watching the movie, you think, yeah, 
This guy deserves to be saved. This poor mother who has already lost three of her sons, she deserves to have people go in and and get this guy out, bring this son home to her mother who's already grieving the loss of these three other sons. We see that and we think that is a worthy salvation. That is a salvation that is worth engaging in. But Guys, this is how we see the love of God. That when He redeems us, He isn't redeeming those who are worthy. He isn't redeeming those who are a worthy cause. This rescue mission that God has sent His Son Jesus out for is not to save people who deserve to be saved. And that's why it displays for us His great love. In Romans 5.8, let me give you two scriptures that describe both components of redemption. First, we'll look at the ransom component. In Romans 5.8, it says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So for us to be rescued, for us to be brought out of exile and be brought back into God's presence, a ransom had to be paid. And what we're saying is that Jesus Christ was that payment. Jesus Christ was the one who sacrificed himself that we might be redeemed and brought back into God's presence. But when did Jesus die for us? Paul says, wow, we were still sinners. We weren't a worthy cause. We had done nothing worthy to be redeemed, and yet Christ came for us. But then Paul, at another point in in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, he goes even further. He says, yeah, okay, when Jesus died for us back there, we were still sinners. But what about in the moment that someone actually becomes a Christian? What about in the moment when your heart actually comes alive to God? What about in the moment when you've been rebelling against God your whole life, and in that moment you actually turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus? What about in that moment? This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. He says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Right in the middle of our deadness, right in the middle of our rebellion against God, right in the middle of us saying, God, I don't want you in my life. I can run my life better without you. Right in the middle of that, God comes in and he makes us alive to Christ. We've never done one good thing in our life. We've never obeyed God at one instance in our whole life. And then boom, out of his love, out of the great love with which he loves us, he makes us alive together with Christ. What this means, guys, is that God is our redeemer from start to finish and our entire redemption, both in the ransom that Jesus accomplished for us and in the rescue that God achieves in our hearts in the moment that we come to faith in Christ, it is all a display of his good love. Maybe uh, maybe you're not really sure about this Christianity thing. Uh, maybe, Maybe you thought coming here today that just for the fact that you were born into this world means that you have a relationship with God? Or, or maybe you thought that just because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that that automatically means that everybody has a relationship with God? Or maybe you even came here and thought this morning that what Christianity is is just a project for people to try to stop doing bad things in their life. That the whole aim of this thing is just to try our best to you know, be better people in the world. Now, what What Psalm 107 teaches us is that what Christianity is about is about a rescue mission where God, out of the the overabundance of love in his heart, 
came and rescued sinners, came and met people who had never done a good thing in their life, who had never looked to him and loved him, never obeyed him, never listened to his word. He shows up in people's lives like that. And he pulls them out of exile and brings them back into relationship with himself. He pulls them out of exile and he gathers them back into his presence. Amen Amen is right. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Uh, But here's something uh, unique about the redeeming love of God. Uh, We've titled this series, God's Steadfast Love. And what we're going to be kind of narrowing in on over these next 12, 13 weeks is a particular kind of love. Particular kind of love. And the Bible calls it God's steadfast love. Or maybe in your translation it might say His loving kindness. It's a particular kind of love. Here's what we have to understand. Deep in our hearts, what you and I need to feel, what we need to see, what we need to come to believe is that not only did God not have to redeem us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to send his son. He didn't have to show up in your life and rescue you. God did not have to redeem us. But not only did God not have to redeem us, God didn't even have to love us. See, there's two different kinds of love. Uh, There's a natural love, and then there's what we might call sovereign love. Natural love is when you and I Love something because it is agreeable to us. I love certain foods because they taste good to me. I love certain experiences because they are fun for me. I love certain places because they're beautiful and and they, they do an exciting thing inside of me whenever I go there. Right? Natural love is not something that you have to try hard to do. Right? I don't have to try hard to love fried chicken. I don't have to try hard to go and spend a weekend in the mountains. Right? There are certain things that I just naturally love because they're agreeable, they're lovely, they're enjoyable. But sovereign love, sovereign love is love that chooses to love something even when it, the thing they're loving isn't lovely. Sovereign love chooses to love even when there's nothing in the thing that is agreeable. Sovereign love says, I'm going to love you even though you don't deserve to be loved. Sovereign love is not based upon merit. It is based upon grace. Sovereign love says, I'm setting my love on you for no other reason than that I delight to do so. And here's what I'm trying to say. This great love with which God loves us, this great love which accomplishes our redemption, this great love which reaches out into the exile of our sin and brings us back into God's presence, it isn't God's natural love. Naturally, the Bible says, we are objects of wrath. According to our nature, we are repulsive to God. According to our nature, there is nothing in us that is lovely, that is worthy, that is worth saving. According to nature, the Bible says, by nature, objects of God's anger, deserving punishment. And so maybe you've uh, wondered about this before. How can Christianity teach at the same time that we're both objects of God's wrath and objects of His love? How can that be possible? How can at the same time the Bible say that God hates sinners, 
which it does, and at the same time say that he loves sinners. How can the two things be possible? Well, this is how. Because according to God's natural love, according to nature, we are repulsive. We should be hated. We should be punished. According to God's natural love, we are repulsive. But that's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is why this passage says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Because when God loves us, he loves us with a sovereign love. He chose to love us. He was not required to love us at all. He was not required, not even by family resemblance. There was nothing in us that required God to love us. And so when he loves us, it is simply because he chose to love us. He wants to love us. And here's, here's, the, uh, here's the amazing thing about this. We're called in this passage to, to say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, so what, what, what are the redeemed of the Lord called to say? We're called to say that his steadfast love endures forever. How could you say that? How could you be sure? How can you say his love endures forever? How can you say that no matter what happens, no matter what I do, no matter what goes wrong in my life, that it's going to keep being there? It will be constant. It won't fail. It won't stop. How can we say that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever? Here's how. Because since God's love is a sovereign love, it isn't dependent upon our consistency. Rather, it is dependent upon God's faithfulness. And God is forever faithful. The, the, the dial on the volume of God's love in your life isn't based on your ability to prove yourself. The dial on the volume pumping consistently all the way, God's redeeming sovereign love into your life, it is based on God's steadfastness. Guys, this is, if, I were to, if we were to walk out of here and the first thing you were to say, hey, how has God loved us? Here's what I would say that he chose to love us. The first thing that he did to love us was that he chose to love us. Nothing in us agreeable, nothing in us lovely, nothing in us worthy, and still, he chose. And in that sovereign love, in that redeeming love, he reached through our exile and brought us back into relationship with himself. So how has he loved us? In love, in love, in love, our God redeems us. Second this morning, in love, our God satisfies us. In love, our God satisfies us. <clears throat> Verses 4 and 5 say, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Uh, there's probably never been a more affluent generation than the one that you and I find ourselves in. Not only have we found a way to have all of our needs met, but we have found a way to meet all of our needs in luxury. We have the world at our fingertips. We can travel anywhere we want. We can talk to anybody we want all halfway across the world. We can press a button and 15 minutes later, food arrives at our door. We have never lived at a time where we had more. 
And yet our souls feel like a desert wasteland. It's almost as if the more and more and more that we've tried to pile up on our lives, it's only made us emptier and emptier and emptier. Uh, we said at the beginning that the love of God is this essential resource. It's, it's like water. I mean, think about what happens to you when you go without water. You know, for some of us, you know, two, three hours without water, you start acting, you know, weird. You start, you know, going all over the place. And then imagine a few days without water, how your body would start to feel and, and what would happen to you. And then weeks and then months and then eventually without water, we die. And what, what ends up happening is we try so hard to fill ourselves with things that cannot replace the love of God. We try so hard to fill ourselves with all these other things that cannot replace God's presence in our life. And so the more and more and more we get, the emptier and the emptier we feel. But then in verse 7 through 9, we see what God has done. It says, He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, for He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul He fills with good things. Here's what we have to understand about the sovereign love of God. When, when God meets us with His sovereign love, He doesn't just squeak us through the door of salvation. When God meets us in His sovereign love with His grace, He doesn't just put a little sprinkle dust of grace. No, when God meets us with his redeeming love, he showers grace upon us. God is not just a God who saves. God is a God who satisfies us. Verse 7 it gives us this vision of God leading his people to a city where they can dwell. You know, imagine you're out in the desert and, and you're dry and you're parched and you're weary and then you come upon this city and in this city is everything you need. In this city, all your needs are met. In this city, there's everything that you could possibly dream to all your heart's desire. And what God has done for us in his sovereign love is that he leads us to his son, Jesus. And when we meet Jesus, we meet an all-satisfying Savior. There have been a few times in my life when I've gone places and uh, thought to myself, you know, I don't think I could, I don't think I would ever have to leave this place. Um, <clears throat> I think about closing my eyes and um, imagining this scene in my mind where I'm in this rocking chair, I've got this fresh, hot, black cup of coffee, it's 72 and a half degrees, there's this beautiful mountain landscape in the background, and you just... I just think to myself, I could stay here for the rest of my life. I've got everything I need. It's all right here. And I'm sure you can imagine that place too. You've had these few moments in your life where you've probably been somewhere and you just thought, this is an oasis. This is a little spring of life in my crazy desert life. And you thought, man, I, I think I could just stay here forever. Well, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We don't need Jesus 
plus. Jesus checks all the boxes. Life in Christ is the only thing that can truly satisfy the longings of our soul. Uh, See, the reason that you and I want soul satisfaction is because there's these certain components of our soul that we all long for and crave to be fulfilled. Uh, Let me share uh, five of these, five of these things that every soul needs to be satisfied. I want you to think carefully. And as I'm saying them, I want you to think about how you seek after these things in your life. How do you long for these things? How do you crave for these? How How are you trying so hard to pursue these things in your life? Here's five things that every soul needs to be satisfied. A soul needs intimacy. A soul needs purity. A soul needs safety. A soul needs purpose. And a soul needs peace. Let me say that one more time. Five things that our souls need to be satisfied. A soul needs intimacy. A soul needs purity. A soul needs safety. A soul needs purpose. And a soul needs peace. So here we are. We have our life and our souls, and they're made for God. And yet we've been exiled. We're in the wilderness. We're in the desert. And we're trying so hard to satisfy. We're trying so hard to fulfill. And maybe we try to seek it in finding a purpose for our life. Maybe we try to seek it in finding some sense of peace in our life. Maybe we try to seek it in some relationship where we can get some sense of intimacy, but we're all starving for our souls to be satisfied. But then God meets us and he leads us to his son Jesus. And his son Jesus is an all-satisfying Savior. Jesus enters into a relationship with us. And he satisfies our craving for intimacy. Jesus is a Savior who cleanses us. And he satisfies our desire for purity. Jesus is a Savior who conquers the grave as we celebrated last week. And so he satisfies our desire for safety. Jesus is a Savior who gives us us our purpose back, both to glorify God, to reflect him, but then also to join Jesus along with him on his mission. There is no greater purpose in the world. And Jesus meets us with his gentleness, his kindness, his firmness, so that when all the world is crashing all around us, when everything else is falling down, when we know Jesus, we can sing It is a well. It is a well with my soul. We all have these aspects of our soul that we long to be fulfilled, and Jesus is an all-satisfying Savior. And here's what I fear happens so many times, even for Christians, is that, yes, we come into relationship with Jesus, and we're happy for Jesus to satisfy a few of those components, but then we're still looking for satisfaction in these other areas of our life. So maybe we'll, we'll say, yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm happy to take your purpose, but I don't want anything to do with your intimacy. 
Or we'll say, yeah, Jesus, I'm happy to receive safety and security from you, but I, I still feel like I'm the one who has to cleanse my own conscience. So, you know, Jesus comes and he meets all of our needs. Jesus is this city in this dry and weary land where everything we need is there. And so when you feel these cravings in your heart, when you feel these longings in your soul, when you find yourself discontent, make your first step towards Jesus because he's the only one who can satisfy. All of these other things will leave us dry, will leave us helpless. And maybe this morning as you've been listening, you realize, you know, honestly, I think I'm still in exile. I think I'm still in that desert wilderness. I Actually, if I'm really being honest, my soul isn't satisfied. I've never had a content day in my life. What I want you to see what happens to these people. Starving, fainting, wandering in the desert. Guess what happens? They finally come to the end of themselves. Verse 6, it says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. Guys, we don't understand how God loves us, but he loves us so much deeper and so much better than we could ever imagine. One of the ways that God loves us is he won't let us be satisfied with anything but Jesus. God ruins our happiness so that we can actually be happy. He robs us of finding joy in anything else that we want to find it in until we finally come to the end of ourselves and cry out to him this is the love of God that will never let us go. And then finally this morning, finally, how has God loved us? How has God loved us? He's redeemed us. Yes, he satisfied us. But finally this morning, in love, our God sets us free. In love, our God sets us free. Verses 10 and 11 say, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. These verses describe the slavery of our sin. And here is one of the most sad consequences of our sin. That you and I sin against God. We rebel against God. And then one of the consequences is we actually have to live in sin. We rebel against God and then we become enslaved to a life of rebellion against God. We make our choice and then we have to live in it. I was talking to Allie this week about a time in her life when, when something like this uh, kind of happened. Her, by the way, she gave me permission to, to share this story. Um, uh, her, her, her family was going to paint their house and uh, she, she had the opportunity to pick what color she wanted her room to be painted. And so she told her parents that she wanted to paint her room purple. And her parents said, no, we're not doing that. But Allie insisted. She said, no, Mom and Dad, I, I really want a purple room. Please, 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 please. And so her, this is what her parents said. They said, we will paint your room purple. But once we paint your room purple, we're not changing it. If we paint your room purple, you are going to have to live in it. So they painted the room purple, and Allie hated it. The day that her older sister moved out of the house, Allie immediately moved into her room to get out of her prison of purple. Guys, this is one of the saddest consequences of sin. 
that we sin and then we are enslaved to a life of sin. We rebel against God and then we have to live in that choice. We're stuck. We can't help but disobey his word. We can't help but, as the text says, spurn his counsel. Uh, In Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul describes our situation, any human being situation outside of salvation in Jesus Christ this way. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, and here's the the key phrase, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sin isn't just something we do. Sin is something that enslaves us. It's something that grips us. We live apart from God's word, and then we are stuck in a life apart from his word, and that is tragic. But then Psalm 107 14 to 16 says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. This is the sovereign love of God that when God comes into our life, yes, He redeems us. He brings us out of exile and he brings us into life in his presence. Yes, God satisfies our heart. But here's one of the other amazing things that God does in his love. He breaks the dominion of sin. He bursts the bonds apart. He busts down the prison door and he says, come out of your enslavement. Yes, you've been stuck in rebellion, but you're free now. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And one of the things we said is that when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a pronouncement that we are free. We no longer have to pay the penalty for our sins anymore because Jesus Christ has paid it in full. But there is a twin freedom to our freedom from the guilt of sin, and that is freedom from the dominion of sin. We are set free by God so that we don't have to keep living in our sin anymore. We don't have to keep walking according to the old passions of the flesh We are given power by God in His Spirit to break the dominion of sin. Romans 6, 13 and 14 says this, Do not present your members, talking about your body, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments instruments for righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace guys this is one of the most outstanding parts of our salvation that sometimes i'm not even sure that we want to be excited about but we ought to be excited about it that we're not stuck in the slavery of our sin anymore i want you to imagine that your whole life You've lived with this ball and chain, this heavy ball and chain attached to your ankle. And everywhere you went, it caused you problems. Everywhere you went, it slowed you down. Everywhere you went, it was a nuisance. You hated it, and it caused problems with everybody else because everybody looked at you and said, what in the world are you doing with this thing around your ankle? Your whole life, you had to deal with this, this problem. But then one day someone comes, and they have the key, and they unlock it you're free. Now listen, how silly would it be to then then think, you know what? 
I know this isn't around my ankle anymore, but I'm just going to reach down. I'm going to grab this ball and chain, and I'm just going to drag it around everywhere I go from now on. No, the Bible's saying, guys, you're free. You're free from the dominion of sin, so go and sin no more. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 1.14 says it this way. I love how he puts this. He says, as obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What's he saying? He's saying you once were in darkness. You once didn't know any better. You once thought that a purple room is what you really wanted. But now you've been set free. So don't go back. Don't go run back into the prison that God has busted the doors off of. Don't go walking around with the ball and chain that Jesus has set you free from. No, you've been set free from the dominion of sin, so present your life to God for righteousness' sake. Run from your sin and pursue a life that is conformed to the pattern of the Word of God. That if one of the consequences of our sin was to be enslaved to a life of sin, then one of the most beautiful parts of our salvation is that we've been set free from the dominion of sin. And I love that the hinge in this section of the, of the psalm is where we end up today. The hinge is, is, is really similar, but it's just slightly different. Verses 12 and 13 say, So he, he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. You know, have we come to the end of ourselves? Have we come to the point where we say, God, I've tried to fill my soul with everything in the world and, and, and nothing fulfills me. We finally come and, and realize that maybe the reason my life is so dysfunctional and I'm so broken is that I've been trying to live in rebellion against God. But thank God He won't let me enjoy life that way. Thank God He makes me miserable in my sin. Thank God that he won't let me be satisfied with anything else but Jesus Christ. And then we come to the end of ourselves and hungry, thirsty, enslaved, broken. We don't know what to say other than, God, have mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Maybe that's you today. <laughs> You've come to the end of yourself. And right there at the end of yourself, right there at the end of ourselves, we are met with the endless love of God, this steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever, this sovereign love in which he chose to love us. Though we were objects of wrath, he came after us and he picked us. And he sent his son to die for us. And right now in your heart, that sovereign love, if you cry out, say, God, have mercy, save me. 
sovereign love will make you alive together with Christ. Set free, satisfied. So how has God loved us? I hope leaving here today, uh, you'd have some good answers to that. First and foremost, (laughs) he's loved us by choosing to love us. He's loved us by reaching out into our exile and bringing us back into his presence. And there, in his presence, we're freed from the dominion of sin. And we're brought to a Savior who is an all-satisfying Savior. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we start this journey of taking a deep dive into your love, uh, we're thankful today that, first and foremost, we can acknowledge that though we have nothing lovely to present to you, nothing worthy to present to you, God, you've revealed to us that you pour out your love upon sinners. You come and save those who have rebelled against you. You come and satisfy those who our whole lives have tried to replace you with some lesser thing. God, would we be ravished this morning? Would we be undone by your great love for us? And God, would you learn to, would you teach us to learn to live in your love, to rest in your love, to find all that we need in the love of Christ that surpasses our understanding? Thank you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we worship and pray. Amen.